Near the western border of modern-day Jordan, 710 metres above sea level is Mount Nebo. Standing on the top of Mount Nebo on a clear day, you get this extraordinary, spectacular, panoramic view of the valley of the River Jordan. As it travels from the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel down into the Dead Sea in the south. You can even see the West Bank city of Jericho and Jerusalem. At the end of Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses prays this heartfelt prayer to God, begging God to let him cross over the River Jordan into the Promised Land. But God is angry with Moses because of the behaviour of the Israelites. God tells Moses to go and stand on the top of Mount Nebo and look. Look north and south, look east and west. Look well, God says to Moses, for you shall not cross over the River Jordan. Now, rubbing salt into the wound even further, God tells Moses to go and encourage and strengthen Joshua, his successor, because he's the one who'll take his place and lead God's people into the promised land. My goodness, what a moment that must have been for Moses. Standing on the top of Mount Nebo with the Jordan Valley stretching out at his feet, so close and yet to come this far after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, of dealing with everything the Israelites and Moses went through during what must be the longest camping holiday in history, to come this close to that amazing moment when Moses would complete the job that God had given him and lead the people behind him dancing and singing into this land flowing with milk and honey. And so to be told, Sorry, Moses, not you. You're not going to make it. I mean, how many times must Moses have imagined that moment in the last 40 years? How many times had the hope and expectation of that moment sustained and encouraged him to keep going when things were really tough? How often had Moses told himself just one more step, one more day, keep going, the promised land is near. But that moment never came for Moses. In fact, scripture tells us that none of the people who God liberated from Egypt made it to the promised land. It was the generation after them, their children and grandchildren that made it. I can't help but ask why. Like what, what went wrong? Let's listen to this Bible reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4. It follows on just after Moses' prayer and God's heartbreaking reply. As Moses, ever the responsible and attentive leader, makes his final speech to the Israelites, reflecting on what's gone wrong, calling them back to obedience to all that God's commanded them, issuing them with his final instructions. Let's listen. Today's reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you, and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did to Baal Peor, the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, 
but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. So what went wrong? Well, it was lots of things. A litany of incidents over many years where the people of Israel willfully did the exact opposite of what God instructed them to do. Various situations involving turning their backs on God and thumbing their noses. All of which I think can be summed up by saying, what went wrong is that the Israelites kept forgetting about God. They kept forgetting about God. Forgetting that God was the one who liberated them and loved them and guided them each day in a pillar of cloud and each night in a pillar of fire. That it was the power of God that parted the sea of reeds and the provision of God that rained manna down from heaven, a tasty picnic lunch to eat each day. They kept forgetting who they were and how they got there. They got distracted by their fears, thrown off course by their unmet expectations, frozen in their need for certainty. And forgetting all that God had done, they put their faith in their own ability to save themselves. They chased after things they thought would bring them pleasure and joy only to find them empty. And when things didn't turn out like they hoped, when God didn't jump to meet their expectations or respond to their many complaints, they decided, well, clearly God's the problem, that God's customer service, frankly, just wasn't up to scratch. So they exercised their consumer rights and changed provider. They, th they thought, let's replace God altogether. Let's take up with one of the gods of the local people and hope that they can give us what we want. And that's what Moses is talking about in verse 3 of this reading how the people of God ran after Baal of Peor, the God of the Moabites. Moses says, you have seen for yourself what the Lord did with regard to Baal of Peor, God of the Moabites, how the Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed Baal of Peor, while those of you who hold fast to the Lord, your God, are still alive today. As you know, the first law that God gave to Moses and the Israelites on those two stone tablets is this. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And God's jealousy isn't the petty jealousy of an emotionally immature suitor. It's the passionate expression of commitment from a lover who knows that a heart divided is a heart that is lost. See, taking up the worship of another God isn't just 
a change in loyalty. This isn't just about switching teams. Worshipping another god is an act of exchanging one story, one reality, for another. It's a turning away from a particular story about the meaning and purpose of life and the taking up of an entirely different story with another understanding and meaning of the purpose of life. This story is a particular story of the God of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Rebecca and Jacob and Rachel. It's a narrative built around a particular understanding of creation and fall and covenant and redemption and justice and mercy and God's charge to humans as image bearers in his kingdom. And this story uniquely finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Lord and King over all whose life, death and resurrection points the direction of history towards a new heaven and a new earth where God will be all in all. So to turn from this God to worship another is to leave that story behind and take up some other story entirely. What I want you to hear this morning is that stories aren't merely essential to how we understand the world. They are how we understand the world. I like how the poet Muriel Rukasa puts it when she says that the universe is made up of stories, not atoms. The universe is made up of stories, not atoms. You see, every human culture in every place throughout time is a testament to the power of stories. Stories etched in ochre on the stone walls of caves, stories shared across campfires, stories told in dance, in song, in paint, on paper. It's the stories that give shape to our lives. Because stories give us a sense of identity. They, they tell us where we've been and where we come from and who we are and what we could be. Stories motivate us towards things. They, they help us to understand what's important and what it means to live a good life. We live our lives out of our stories, both the ones that we've received and the ones that we make for ourselves. So in warning the Israelites not to worship other gods, God's saying, be very careful about which story you choose. Because the story you choose to live out has life and death consequences. What went wrong? Well, the Israelites forgot about God. They turned from the story of God with them and chose another story. So having acknowledged what went wrong, Moses now gives the Israelites one final gift, a piece of advice to take with them as they enter the promised land. In verse 9, he says to them, But take care, take care and watch yourselves closely, so as to neither forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor to let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, he says. You see, Moses' final piece of advice to them is, remember, don't let the things you've seen, the saving acts of God, slip from your mind. 
tell these stories, pass these stories on, make them known to your children and your children's children. And how can we make sure that we remember these things? Especially those of us that don't have photographic memories and some days can't even remember where we just put our phone. What Moses is pointing out is that we don't actually remember much of what happens. What we remember is what we rehearse. We remember what we tell ourselves over and over again. It's the stories we keep coming back to. It's the, the narrative we keep repeating to ourselves, like that loose tooth we can't help but probe and push again and again. These are the stories that shape and define us. I honestly can't tell you a single word I uttered before about the age of 12. And even then, I'm not really sure. But my goodness, I could tell you stories so many stories about my childhood, stories about how my home and my family shaped me both for good and for ill, how that teacher one day inspired and changed me, how I can draw a line between the person I am today and a whole range of childhood experiences. But do I actually remember what happened? Of course I don't. What happened is that I started telling myself a story about what happened. I began to develop a narrative about how this moment in the fifth grade was some sort of turning point and how what my best friend said while we were walking home in a thunderstorm brought about this extraordinary epiphany. And over time, the story is rehearsed. Over time, the story becomes completely different from what a videotape of the actual event might show us. But it doesn't matter because the rehearsed story turns out to be far more vivid, far more real than a video could ever be. And so the story becomes our memory. The story gets rehearsed even more and more and the story becomes the thing that we tell ourselves the next time we need to make a choice. So it's our stories that determines who we will become. And of course, what happens to us matters a great deal, but even more powerful than that are the stories we repeat about what happened to us. My grandma lived with us when I was growing up in a granny flat just across the breezeway. Often after dinner, I would go out to her flat. And I remember pestering my grandmother about every single object, every stick of furniture, every book, every knick-knack that she possessed. Where's this from, Grandma, I would say. She would answer, well, that's the vase that my brother Frank made for me when he lived in Moffat Street. Who gave you that, Grandma? Well, that's the necklace my mother and father gave to me on my 18th birthday. In her small, homely granny flat, my grandma was surrounded by things that were so much more than mere things. They were the stories of her life. They were three-dimensional symbols of the love she'd known, of the adventures that she'd had, the, the milestones that marked out the ebb and flow of her life. In that way that children so often do after they learn something new, they really delight in parroting their newfound knowledge back. So after I'd learnt the stories of the things in Grandma's flat, I'd walk around after dinner as she knitted, lightly touch something and say, Grandma, that's the vase your brother Frank made for you when he lived at Moffat Street. And she would say, 
Yes, love. Of course, after a while, I moved on from my childhood amusements, but I noticed that sometime around my grandma's 90th birthday, we started to play this game again. She would make a cup of tea and she'd sit down in her favourite rocking chair and she'd say to me, go over to the china cabinet. Do you remember where that came from? Go and fetch my box of beads. Do you know who gave me the red ones? And somehow from the recesses of my mind, the stories came back to me and I'd tell them to her again. It really wasn't until much later when the dementia fully decloaked like an alien warship that had already won the battle, that I really realised what my grandmother was asking me. See, she was asking me to tell her the story of her life because her life, her identity, her, her sense of self was slowly slipping through her fingers like grains of sand. Forgotten stories have little power. But the stories we remember, my goodness, the stories we repeat over and over again, well, they change everything. Moses says, take care not to forget the things that your eyes have seen, nor let them slip from your mind all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. Remember, remember, don't forget. Keep repeating the story of God until it becomes a deep part of you, until it becomes the story through which everything you see and understand. I wonder, how well would you say you know the story of God? Well, I think that we've been given this great gift, the Bible, God's living word to us, and in its pages it contains story upon story about who God is and what God desires, stories about what life with God looks like when life is good and, and well and wonderful and when life is tough and falling apart at the seams. But I wonder how much of the story have you really taken in? Or like the Israelites, are you in danger of forgetting? I can't think of an experience more akin to wandering in the wilderness than this experience of living through the largest pandemic in living memory. So in this season of uncertainty and fear, what I think our hearts need is to remember the story of God with us, to return and ground ourselves in the only story that has the power of life sewn into every word. So this week, let me encourage you to steep your heart and mind in the living word of God so that you too might remember again the saving work of God.